man, is it really hard to have a podcast for a team that loses so much? <laughs> and yes, people. <laughs> yes. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, a man the elderly women of Kansas City refer to as El Matador, my brother Mike. Yes, they do. Uh, I am known by many different things in many different languages. And so, yeah, I'm, I am the Matador for the over 70 crowd. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, he is, he is the Matador at, at, only at the senior facilities here in, just, in Kansas City. Just, you know, just nothing, an old John Knox village over here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's it. Nothing, nothing too crazy for him. Uh, get, get, he just carries around tapioca pudding in his pockets most of the time. That's right. the and hard you know, candies. Like, mm-hmm. uh, ooh, you know. <laughs> and so, yeah, just, just there, he's got a reputation, if you will. Wink, you know, like he's got, you know, uh, it's it's a real, it's real seedy, it's real gross. Um, uh, on this week's episode, we'll stifle our vomit long enough to talk about a real stink pile of a week. From the Royals, I tried to get creative with that one. Uh, and then we will uh, talk a little bit about uh, trades, extensions, and or what, what players, what the Royals should do with certain players on this roster in terms of keeping them around or, or getting value for them. And then we'll finish off with a, a little preview of next week's game. In next week's games, you'll, of course, realize that you may be listening to this on Sunday instead of Monday because we are recording this one day early. For us, it is Saturday, September 2nd. Uh, instead of Sunday, September 3rd, we would normally record it because I am leaving on vacation tomorrow. I am going to Spain and I'm leaving it all behind. I'm leaving Royals Weekly behind. I'm leaving my cares behind. It's going to be one. I'm leaving Mike behind. Most importantly, I'm leaving Mike behind uh, and I'm going to go sit on a beach and think about none of this. And so next week we'll, we'll come back at our regularly scheduled time, but Alex Duvall will be joining Mike uh, to help captain this ship and we'll see if it what bay it ends up in the bottom of uh i get to be the host uh, everybody yay (laughs) yeah that's gonna go great i think uh we'll see on that one uh i also want to remind you to follow us on all social medias we're on twitter we're on facebook we're on instagram mike's doing threads things it's it's a party on all those i haven't been tweeting as much lately because i've been preparing to go to spain but i promise when i get back i will be tweeting up a storm We'll be doing a bunch of analysis on those various platforms. Uh, we're on TikTok now, like the, with the oh. kids. We're doing these dances and stuff. Mike's going to be doing some of these. What are we? <laughs> no, we're putting out clips and, and different videos and stuff on the platform on TikTok and all these other places. So follow us, Royals Weekly, uh, and we will uh, hopefully get you some more fun interaction with with uh, the group here. Also, I want to remind you that Royals Weekly is brought to you by All In Physical Therapy. For one-on-one personalized physical therapy, we choose all-in physical therapy. They took excellent care of our mother after surgery left her with pain and limited mobility in her arm. She loves to work out, be active. I once saw her throw a baseball through a brick wall. The excellent specialized care she got at all-in physical therapy had her back to doing stuff like that in no time. With her feet. She threw it through the wall with her feet. (laughs) Unbelievable, this woman. I'm telling you, the athleticism and pure strength on this person is something you guys got to see. All in Physical Therapy knows how to help athletes recover. It's owned and operated by Lee Summit's own Tommy Freevert, a former Arena League football player, Northwest Missouri State Bearcat, and a hell of a guy. They have offices in both Blue Springs and Lee Summit, so get over there to work with Tommy. Tell your doctor you want to do your physical therapy with the best of the best at All in Physical Therapy. 
To learn more, give them a call at 816-427-5300. That's 816-427-5300. Or visit their website at allin-pt.com. That's A-L-L-I-N-PT.com. Those of you who listened to the show previously know that we start this this review of last week with roster news. And we're, we're very emphatic about that. I'm a little bit sad about the roster news this week because my boy John the Whammer McMillan went on the 15-day IL with right forearm strain, which is, you know, so, sometimes the precursor to other large... I'm not going to say the word or anything like that, but, you know, there are some things that that sometimes leads to. Mike, what are your thoughts about seeing John McMillan go on the 15-day IL? I hope it's a legit just a strain, but as you and I and anybody who really follows the game consistently knows that sometimes a strain turns into a certain thing named after a former pitcher that he is now more famous for than his pitching. Um, <laughs> so yeah, really need the whammer. Do not need him to be uh, shelved permanently. Yeah. It, it's an injury that rhymes with a uh, boo bell injury. Okay. We hope it's not that we hope it's not uh Ronnie Han surgery. Uh, <laughs> Mike, I'm having trouble coming up with the rhymes here. Uh, the only thing I, I have nothing. down here for here, you guys know that 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 uh, that meme from Brooklyn Nine Nine where he's like, "Pain." That's all I'm thinking when I when I hear that. John, when John the Weaver McMillan went down, and I, I saw the news, I was like, "How? How? Like this team cannot have any good things happen to it." Like John John McMillan was like the one little bright shine of light in this bullpen. And then all I mean, the, of a sudden, yeah. bam, down. You know, the pitching staff can't have anything good for sure. Um, well, that's true. The, that's on the hitting sure. side, we've had one or two positive things, but yeah, the pitching staff can't. I mean, other yeah. than Cole Reagans, can't have anything good happen to it. Mm-mm. It just doesn't feel. It feels so much like, you know, taking hits left and right, just taking hits. Uh, I guess one. Mm. You're right, Mike. I guess one of the positives, or one of the things that seems like a positive, is Nick Lofton was promoted to Major League Baseball this week. Uh, rosters expand to 28 for in September, so a lot of teams use that to promote any sort of prospects they want to get a look at before the start of next season. And so Nick Lofton was brought up to the Major League team, made his debut yesterday in Friday's game. Uh, had a bunch of had a couple hits, had a walk. He got on base a bunch. Of course, everybody was hitting yesterday. Mike, what are your thoughts on Nick Lofton coming up to Major League Baseball? I'm excited to see him. I, I it, it's it creates an interesting thing for the Royals because he's somewhat of a utility guy, but his probably his you know most effective position is going to be third in the future. But they have Michael Garcia there, and so it's really going to be a question of where do you like him in the future and how is he going to fit on a future role of this team? And does that allow, if he is really effective here at the end of this year, does that allow you to move a piece like Michael Garcia or to move a, a piece like Michael Massey? If you feel like he has any value or you know what I'm saying? So Nick Lofton does add some intrigue to this roster moving forward. Yeah. It's intrigue in part because there's a lot of unknown here. Lofton has had some level of success hitting at AAA. But he hasn't torn the doors off or anything like that. You know, he's, I think he's got like a 270 average. He's walking at about 10%, striking out at about 10%, but 175 ISO, stuff like that. And so you look at him and you say, well, you love the walk and strikeout numbers that he's putting up in the minor league, in minor leagues and now in AAA especially. But it's like kind of like a test case for secondary numbers versus overall numbers. There's a reason he's not hitting 
super well. I think he's got a 95 weighted runs created plus in AAA. That's 5% below league average. Like that's not tremendous for a guy you would bring up, but he does limit strikeouts and he does get walks. And so, you know, he's going to put the ball in play. You know, he's got going to get on base decent with, uh, with walks. And so you got to wonder, you know, what, what's his profile look like at offensively in the majors. The thing about Nick Lofton playing third is right now, our issue with Mikel Garcia playing third or mine anyway, is that there's not a third base power profile from Michael Garcia. The same might be true with Nick Lofton, honestly, maybe to a lesser degree, but he Lofton doesn't have the kind of power. You would say like a, Nolan Arenado or, or something like that. You know, he's not a prototypical third baseman just moved there this year, bulked up to try and to try and make that transition. So it'll be interesting to see what he can do with one month of major league play. Cause that's essentially what he'll get. And then he'll get a chance, I guess, in spring training. John McMillan may have uh, gone down with an injury, but the Royals did promote someone. We're going to look at Steven Cruz uh, on the major league uh, side because he was promoted to major league baseball. His first outing was pretty rough. Uh, he did pitch yesterday and I think uh, pitched pretty well. Mike, what are your thoughts on Steven Cruz uh, making it to the major leagues? He, he's at least an interesting guy. He's got, he throws really friggin' hard. He's, he's like a, if you, if, if a John McMillan were less polished, and probably with a little less potential than what McMillan has. That's kind of what you have in, in Steven Cruz. Uh, but it is fun to watch him throw because he throws harder than hell. And he can he has the strikeout ability. But as we also saw in that first game, he has the throw a fastball very straight and get it hit out quite quickly ability too. So, you know, if he can, if he can you know, manage that and locate a little bit better, then I think you have an effective reliever. But that's what the rest of this year is for, is to see a guy like Steven Cruz, to see if he's another piece you can add to the bullpen, hopefully with uh, the Whammer and maybe some other guys, Carlos Hernandez. Um, I always forget Ponytail guy's name now. He's hurt, throws really hard, uh, or used to throw really hard. Big curveball. Help me out, Mark. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Man bun, maybe not ponytail, yeah. but Stamont, maybe if he's coming back off injury, you know, something to help this bullpen that is in desperate, desperate need. You, you know what we, because I watched Davidson pitch today. Ugh. You know what we call the throw a fastball really straight and get it hit out? We call that the Jackson Kowar. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's just so he, many. He guys at least throws it at his 100. Bullpen. I mean, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, well, you mean he gets close anyway. Uh, yeah, they need every reliever who might be anything for them. They they just need so many, so much help in the bullpen that if Cruz can be it, great. You know, we'll see if Will Klein gets some look this year. If not, he'll get some look in spring training. You know, uh, I, I just, whatever the answers are going to, it's going to be such a massive need. I don't know if they'll have the ability to overturn how bad this bullpen is in one offseason. It's just so bad. And so they need a, essentially seven different arms if McMillan's down they maybe we need to look at like an entire overhaul of the bullpen I mean Hernandez maybe you like give him a shot but nobody has proven that they really got a locked position in this bullpen on the field last week it was a roof really roof for the Royals um they I, I think I described in here as a hot pile of garbage which is you know kind of a par for the course sometimes they won one game so far now they are playing right now they're getting killed nine to one it's like the seventh I think uh, right now but they are losing 9-1 to one to the Boston Red Sox right now. Earlier in the week, they were swept by the Pittsburgh Pirates, an organization so awful, fans routinely call for the owner to sell the team. Okay, so that's how bad Pittsburgh is. Uh, and so far, uh, they've won the one game against Boston on Friday. They destroyed Boston on Friday, but then they're getting destroyed tonight. Like, what are your thoughts on the Royals last week and how they looked? 
Ooh, very bad. Um, their offense has just kind of fallen off. It, it was it was doing so well there for that stretch, with the exception of the game yesterday when they scored thirteen. Their offense has been very. Let's just call it inconsistent. That's the pl- polite way of saying it's been bad for a long stretch. They've been inconsistent. Um, it's and that's not that's not ever going to be okay when your pitching is so is as bad as it is. So they need their offense to get some consistency put together good plate appearances and be in that scoring of six runs range to get them consistent wins. Right. Cause it's audition time for guys in, you know, the offense and, and in the pitching staff, I guess, but for definitely sure for guys in the offense, like we, we, for some reason, people started talking about the offense, like it was real settled, like, okay, this is the offense there for a while. And I get the instinct to do that because they played pretty well for quite a stretch, but a lot of these guys, it's, it's not settled. It's settled that Bobby Wood Jr. Will be at shortstop and that's about it. Right. Like, (laughs) so I guess it's maybe settled that Vinny Pascantino will play first when he gets healthy, but that's about it. You know, like they don't have anybody where I'm like, yes, this guy locked in at this position, you know, like it doesn't really work like that. Maybe Salvador Perez, I guess, but we're not even sure he's going to be on the team. So yeah, the thing that got me is it looked pretty lifeless out there at times. This is the first week where I saw them play and I was like, yeesh, it just doesn't really look like there. And they, they came out with comments of their own that was like, yeah, energy-wise, it didn't seem like it was there tonight. And I was like, yeah, it looked like that. That's weird, though. Like, this team has sort of always been noted for the fact that, yeah, they're losing a lot of games, but they're staying in it. They're they're competing and that sort of thing. But there were a couple games this week where I was like, that doesn't seem like the case today. We did have a few strong performances, despite the fact that, you know, the team itself was not great. Mike, tell us, you're going with your boy again this week. Tell us. Uh, why Cole Reagans is looking like uh, the second coming of, of uh, you know, Sandy Koufax here. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I could have gone with Bobby Witt Jr. again. Uh, you know, he he had another good week. But I had to highlight Cole Reagans again because the guy is just so good. I think they, they showed it on the broadcast when he pitched last week, like where he kind of ranks as far as the month of August and up against Dennis Leonard with the strikeouts and things like that. He's had a run here that is about as good as any Royals pitcher in Royals history. You're talking, I mean, when you compare the the run that he's had in these, I think seven or eight starts, whatever it is, you're, you're comparing it to guys like Saber Hagen in 86 and Zach Greinke the year he won the Cy Young award. And, and like those level of things that are like, you know, the best of the best of what Royals pitchers have done. Now he's done it in a much shorter time. So we still have to see, but Seven innings pitch, one walk, and nine strikeouts. No runs given up, only three hits. That was a dominant performance. Every time he goes out there, it feels like a dominant performance. And it's just so, in a season that is so bad, it's so good to see them feel like they, they really got, won that trade big time. Oh, yeah. And got a guy that could be an anchor for a rotation. That feels very good when you've lost, you know, 90 games already. Yeah, 94. If you didn't catch the overall record now, it is 42 and 94 is the overall record <laughs> there. They've gone one and three last week. Yeah, Cole Reagans, man, you know, there's not enough superlative to say what he's done for, at the major league level with the Royals. It's just, it's incredible. It's incredible to think. And I mean, national media is picking up on what Reagans did in the month of August. And they're like, hey, this guy is incredible out here. Like everybody should be paying attention to the Royals when he starts anyway. <laughs> <laughs> don't pay attention to them at other times. Just, just, just tune in for the Reagan starts <laughs> and then we'll see what well, 20% of their games. Uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes, but yeah, you're right. And, and what's incredible is Reagan's didn't have the 99, hundred mile an hour fastball in the Pittsburgh game. He was still throwing pretty hard, but you know, it wasn't going, he's still just dicing them up. Dyson, Dyson could not touch him. It was incredible to watch. 
I'm talking about a guy who I'm glad bounced back this week because he was on our week performer list, I think, last week. And that's Freddie Fermin. He went five for 10 this week. I think this was before today. Uh, one double, one walk, one strikeout. A guy, not, not not necessarily being more patient, maybe being a little bit more patient at the plate this week. We called for him to be a little bit more patient, but he's just finding uh, the, the barrel with the ball a little bit, or the ball with the barrel a little bit more, putting the ball in play hard and that sort of thing. It's nice to see him gain some confidence at the plate. Confidence, in my mind, usually comes, and it looks like it's coming for Fermin, from the ability to just breathe a little bit up there, know that you can control the strike zone, that when a ball comes into it, you're going to put the ball, the bat on it. And he has that ability. He has good plate coverage. He has good you know, uh, bat-to-ball skills. And so he just needs to trust that he doesn't need to extend his strike zone to make contact with the balls, and, and, th- and especially early in counts, which he was doing a lot of previously. So it's great to see him get back, not striking out too much, got even a walk in there. Uh, hopefully he can show a new level of patience moving forward. Of course, we had some weak performers too, Mike. Uh, I think you know that. I think from just watching the eye test, I think the eye test will show you oh, we yeah. had some weak performances this week. Mike, who are you looking at and saying, hey, man, you got to do better? Oh, yeah. I had a lot of guys to choose from on the weak side, especially in the pitching. Uh, but I went with a hitter. I went with MJ Melendez and actually him and Drew Waters. So you, could, I could literally just be talking about Drew Waters right now um, because they had the exact same line. Uh, two for 15, one walk, seven strikeouts. No extra base hits, no RBI for MJ Melendez this week. And it's it's getting to a point now where you really have to start asking yourself, what adjustments can MJ Melendez make to be more consistent? Because if he isn't, his value is not great long term. He You know, he's not catching. He's playing a pretty poor outfield right now. And yeah, it's just it's not good. Seven strikeouts to one walk in a week when you've only at this point, you've only had 15 uh, play or at bats. So it's not, not well, good for MJ Melendez. And, and it's so bad because, and, and I feel like this, it's this way for a couple guys on the team. Cause when they're good, they're so good. You're like, man, if they could just even that out and get consistency there, we have a great player, but it just doesn't happen for Melendez. It, you ha- it happens for two weeks. And then you're like, where'd he go? Well, here's the thing. Melendez has to hear, some footsteps right behind him because Nelson Velasquez is looking like he might be the real deal. And it's like, Melendez, if you're not going to hit, we can throw out an outfield of Velasquez, Isbell and waters. Now who knows if waters is going to hit enough. Who knows if Isbell is going to hit enough. Frankly, who knows if Velasquez is going to hit enough, but Melendez is not solidifying or locking anything down. And the Royals are getting more options. Tyler Gentry is an option down in AAA. You got to wonder if he's not going to get a look this September because you know, Lofton can play outfield. Lofton can also play the outfield. And so, you know, you got to think to yourself, if you're MJ Melendez, you got to be wondering like, oh, if I don't get it together, is this going to get taken from me here before too long? Because, you know, am I going to be, am I going to be Edward Olivara? So they're going to send my ass down. Yeah. And, or, you know, and here's the thing in spring training, why wouldn't it just be an open competition for who who can, who can take that outfield spot? Because you've given Melendez now two full seasons. He was okay in his first average, right? But he's been just downright awful this season. And so the question you have to ask yourself is what does his future look like? You can't say like, well, he's solidified in in the lineup in any way, in any way, shape or form. And so, you know, I just, I I don't know what they're going to do with him. He has to make an adjustment of some kind, but in spring training, I'm guessing it's going to be, Hey, guess what? We got an open competition in left field this year. 
My week uh, performer of the week is a sort of losing the open competition to some degree for any spot in the rotation right now. And that's Alec Marsh. He actually came out and put together a decent performance earlier this week, but then he came out today and just completely shat the bed. And so he, uh, he went two and two thirds innings to, in today's game with seven hits, six earned runs, two walks, one K one home run. The problem with Marsh is he's just creating this negative impression in the minds of uh, coaches right now that it's like, okay, he's a guy we're going to have. We can't feel good about. We can't feel like we can't rely on him. We can't count on him to go out and give us five, six, you know, three or less earned runs and that sort of thing. Right now, it's just not very reliable. It's real volatile for Marsh. He'll go out and, you know, give a pretty solid performance one day and strike out nine or something. And then he'll go out and just get shelled the next. And so this offseason, there's got to be something related to that command. It's The command needs to take a tick up. You know, the stuff, sure, they can work on that too, but that command is so bad, it's creating a lot of uh, problems for him. And so we'll see if they what they do with him in the spring when they're like, is he going to be a part? I'm sure he'll be a part of the starter conversation and, and the competition just because what other options do they have? But he needs to take some big steps forward before anybody says, oh, he's a lock even for the back end of the rotation. Yeah, and I think that's largely because if you're looking at your back end of the rotation, guys, the profile you want is uh, give me the guy who's more consistent, if less, um, maybe less top end talent, but more consistent. I think any head coach will take that for your number five over a guy who might throw you five or six with nine or 10 strikeouts once a month. And then you have to go to the bullpen in the third, like they did today in those other starts. So yeah, I think they're going to lean consistency and, and Alec Marsh isn't that right now. Mike, in a truncated week for us, what sort of theme are you coming up with, with for the, how the Royals played? Uh, I took a, a quote from a Batman movie and it's uh, when Bane is kicking the crap out of Batman. He says, Oh, you think darkness is your ally? And I got to do it. You got to do it in the Bane voice. If you're going to do it, do it in the Bane voice. I can't. You got to be a man and do it. I can't. I can't. Then I will. I can't. I, I think it's like, Oh, okay. Go ahead. Please. Okay. You ready? Right. You think darkness is your ally. You merely adopted the Oh, that wasn't bad. That wasn't bad. I was born in it. (laughs) Molded by it. (laughs) Molded by it. Yeah, I got that one. Um, So I picked that because now, today, multiple people, unprompted, multiple people said, man, is it really hard to have a podcast for a team that loses so much? (laughs) And yes, people. (laughs) Yes. Mark and I have only done this podcast when the Royals have been very bad. And so it got me like thinking and and Morgan and I, my wife were talking about like, what would happen if the Royals were good? Would that change? Like doing the podcast and stuff. And it's like, maybe, I don't know. Like, and and I started thinking I was born in the darkness. (laughs) Like I've only known one small stint of Royals victory in my life. You know, Mark and I were born when they like the year they won the world series in 85. But that was it. I didn't know Royals teams until the 90s, and they were all garbage. In the early 2000s, they were all garbage. And, you know, we had that one little stretch there. But other than that, we've been in the darkness. We were molded by the darkness. Okay? Mm. And, yeah. So when people ask me that, I'm like, what is – I don't know anything else. Like, this is my life. This is – bad Royals teams are as much as a part of life as waking up and breathing. 
Yeah, that I've decided that we're only taking these themes from songs and movie quotes now because that's what I want to do from now on. So from now on, <laughs> your theme must be a song or a movie okay. quote. That's a rule, okay? Uh, I chose a quote from a, okay. a song by one of our favorite bands, Guster, uh, and the song and the quote is "Hollow my head, it echoes like a wooden drum," and that's the, the theme came from. You know, earlier I mentioned that some these players like sometimes looked a little bit lifeless this week. And it's was like, as a fan, that's also what it felt like watching the team this week where it's just like, oh man, like I felt a little empty because I was like, okay, here's another game where they're going to lose to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Wonderful, wonderful, awful, terrible. Okay, here we go. And it was just like, you know, how do you prepare for, for handling uh, the September in a season where you're just trekking towards 110 losses? You got to hollow yourself out, honestly. You just got to be hollow and just, <laughs> you know, play that sucker like a wooden drum. Embrace the darkness. Royals Weekly is brought to you by Knapp Family Wealth. Mike, can you think of anything more important than securing your financial future? How about a little thing called friendship? I mean, yeah, that's important. Or a little thing called Magic the Gathering. Yeah, that's that's less important. Uh, securing your financial future is one of the most important steps someone can take for themselves and their family, and Nap Family Wealth is ready to help you pursue it. This isn't some big faceless corporation we're talking about here. Nap Family Wealth is brought to you by J.C. Nap. is run by J.C. Nap. He's a huge baseball fan, and he's been helping people plan for their financial futures for 20 years. He can help with retirement planning so you don't have to work till you're dead, education planning so your kids learn to read good, investment management so you get all that money out of your mattress and get it working for you. Don't spend another day thinking you've got it all figured out because trust me, you don't. Check out Nap Family Wealth at NapFamilyWealth.com. That's K-N-A-P-P FamilyWealth.com. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA slash SIPC. On this week's Spotlight segment, we're going to try to clarify our own thinking on what the Royals should do with a few of the guys currently on their roster. There's a lot of talk about extensions and trades and what what do we do to build a consistently winning team? I can't get on Twitter without somebody screaming, extend Bobby Witt Jr. Offer him $600 million. You know, it's just various things. And so we want to sort of take up what they should do with some of these players. Uh, we have some thoughts about, uh, about various guys. So we're packaging them all together in a game that we like to call. Don't you want me JJ, right? Don't you want me JJ. Yeah. Okay. We're we're doing it after the. This is of Fantastic. course an ode to the to the 1981 classic from the Human League. Uh, Don't you want me, baby? Uh, we'll call a few different players, or we'll consider a few different players currently on the roster, and each of them, each of us will decide: should the Royals extend this player, trade this player immediately, or wait and trade them later? Mike, are you ready? Oh, I was born that way. Oh, he he was born as a waitress in a cocktail bar, <laughs> Mike. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> Mike. Uh, we're going to start with the one everybody's talking about because might as well. There are, everybody's waiting to hear this too. Bobby Witt Jr., are you extending him, waiting and trading him later, or trading him immediately? I'm extending him. Um, and this one was tough because, you know, I understand both sides of the argument. Extend him, yes. I don't know that the Royals have the money to extend him or that he ever really wants to be extended here in Kansas City. I have no clue on any of those things. But I, I know a couple things. I know Bobby Witt Jr. is a really good baseball player. And I know the Royals have caught a lot of flack for not extending some of their talented players earlier in their controllable times than what they, they tried to. You know, we've I mean, who have we really kept? 
Have we kept anybody past their six years? Mike, they're just going to trade all their best players anyway. Well, and I understand. I understand that's like the dumbest thing I've ever heard, and and that you don't necessarily you sound like have a Facebook. To. Fu- you say, no, yeah. I, I. That's not the same thing, though. To me, that's really not the same thing. Like Bobby Witt Jr. has an opportunity to to buy out, you know, his years years of arbitration plus a couple of years after that. He can still get a big time contract after that, and so I think it would be cool to extend Bobby Witt Jr. And make sure that you have him for at least, you know, a good run here where he can become a Royals legend and possibly be the cornerstone of a team that can, you know, make the playoffs. So I would extend him. I think that's kind of the safe play if the Royals can, you know, muster the money and the the uh, gumption to do it. See, I think exactly the opposite. I think that is actually the very risky play. To take so much money and put it into one player is exceptionally risky to me, right? You know, and we can point to the contracts that have just been albatrosses around the necks of teams because they didn't pay up. Look at San Diego and the huge contract they gave Eric Hosmer right there, right? That That is a perfect example. Now, everyone's going to say, oh, Witt Jr. is better than Hosmer. Yes, he is better than Hosmer. As a result, they'll have to pay him twice as much as what they were going to pay Hosmer. Like, And so, you know, I th- we need to acknowledge, like nobody's acknowledging this. They're sort of saying like, if you sign Bobby Wood Jr. to an extension, it's going to all work out. They're not even thinking about like, what if it doesn't, right? Like, and I don't just mean, what if he doesn't play well enough to live up to the contract? I mean, what if he's really good and they never make the playoffs? Exactly. What if he's really, really good and they can never like spend enough or do enough to build a team around him to make it in playoff worthy. So we get 10 years of Bobby Wood Jr. or seven or eight or whatever you're imagining as an extension. And we never make the playoffs, right? Like that's, you don't want to be tying up all of your assets into one player. I mean, look at the Yankees. They gave Aaron Judge a fucking ship full of money and their whole, the bottom of their roster sucks and they're, they're not very good, right? Like, and so this is the problem. You put so many assets into one player and that's the Yankees, right? We can't even come close to spending Yankees money. And so it's just not the model for teams like us to, to do that sort of thing. It's one thing everybody will be like, Atlanta does it. Tampa Bay's done it a couple of times. Tampa Bay just did it with Wander Franco. How's that looking right now? Right. Wander Franco looks like he might be in prison in, 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 in six months, you know, like <laughs> what are we talking about here? You know? And so there is a ton of risk associated with giving any player a lot of money. There's a bunch of risk associated with it. Okay. And so don't tell me there isn't, I'm on the wait and trade them later bandwagon because I would like the Royals to become a model that's highly transactional, at least for now, highly transactional, moves players at their peaks and that sort of thing. And Bobby Wood Jr. is going to be worth a ton in two or three years, four years, you know? And I also think that the likely, I think the number you're going to have to give Bobby Wood Jr. to get him to extend it is going to be market price or beyond. Because why would he stay here, right? Like he doesn't need the money. He got a big bonus when when he signed and he comes from money. People also don't realize that all these dudes, like 90% of the dudes who take these long-term contracts early in their careers, they don't come from money. Okay. That's like the unsaid thing is mostly they're Latin American players who need money. Okay. And so he has no incentive to take the deal. He has no incentive to take the money. And, you know, why would he want to stick around a team that's going to about to lose 110 games? You know, he has no reason to take that deal. He has no reason to take a long-term deal from the Royals. So I'm a wait and trade him later kind of move because you can get, You'll get a boatload in prospects from him. Let him sort of become a superstar for you for a little bit and then get the best value you can out of him because it'll be a lot. Moving on to another guy, Vinny Pasquantino, Mike. He hasn't played at all this year. Looked like he, or he did play earlier this year. I'm sorry. He played for like a month and then he got hurt. 
What are your thoughts on uh, Vinny Pascantino? Extend him, trade him now, trade him later. He's a guy that for me was a little bit easier. I, I extend him because one, I think you're going to be able to do it at a, at a little bit cheaper price. Um, and two, I think the skills that he has as a hitter are very much um, resistant to the roller coaster that is Major League Baseball, I guess you would say. Um, I think when he's healthy, he's going to be a consistent bat in your lineup, but you're not going to be paying for traits that that sometimes you pay for on the open market and can be overvalued, like stealing bases, like um, some of their outfit, you know, the defensive stuff. You're really just paying for what Vinny Pascantino is as a hitter. And um, yeah, I, I think that's a good thing. I also think, and I, I think this is important, I think he does bring a little bit something to the clubhouse that player other players need. Whether you know it's the bring him together, it's the joking around kind of stuff. Um, so I think that's good either way. But yeah, if you can lock him up now when he's only had one big season of value, I think you do it. Yeah, and Pasquantino, I'm, I agree with you there. I, I I put extend for Pasquantino just because unlike Bobby Wood Jr., he didn't get a big bonus out of out of draft day. He was drafted in what like the ninth or tenth round, something like that, maybe eleventh. I can't remember. Um, but it, it wasn't a big mm-hmm. payday for Vinny Pasquantino yeah. when he got drafted, and so. You know, you don't. You may not have to go break the bank to extend him, and so you know, extend Pasquantino. He gets a little financial security for his future. I don't know that Pasquantino comes from gigantic wealth either, and so you know, I think you have a, a much better shot at extending him at a reasonable price than you do at Bobby Wood Jr. And so, and like like you, I agree that the fact that he has an advanced approach to the plate might mean that some of his uh, offensive uh, ability is a little more resistant to the ups and downs of Major League Baseball. The one thing you do worry about with him injury. He was hurt this year, hurt some in the minors, mm-hmm. had a back injury, which is what dropped his stock, draft stock anyway. You know, Hopefully he can stay uh, healthy if you do something like extend him. Guy who hasn't necessarily stayed healthy his whole career, but has given the Royals a ton of value in a World Series. Mike, everybody's talking about Salvador Perez. What are they going to do with him this offseason? We know that they were calls about trading him uh, at this deadline. What do you think the Royals should do with Salvador Perez? I, honestly, I think they should trade him. Um, we thought we we mentioned that we probably thought they should have traded him at the deadline as well. It, it, it depends on what you get and how much of that salary you can unload. If you can get a solid prospect back for Salvador Perez, and even if you have to eat some of his contract, I think you do it if you're the Royals, because not only because of what he is as a player now and he's now on the backside of his career, but also because your system is only really deep at one position <laughs> and it's catcher. I mean, you've got Freddie for you've got Carter Jensen coming up. You've got uh, KLM Schaff and, and uh, who's the other guy I'm forgetting. Luca Tresh. Thank you. Luca Tresh is the one I was thinking of. And so, um, yeah, you've got some guys there that you might like in the future. I, I, I probably trade him if I'm getting something back in the starting pitching realm that is valuable. Yeah, I'm a trade immediately, and by that I mean this offseason on Salvador Perez. And you're right. They need to eat as much money as they need to eat to make this a decent return in prospects. If they got to eat $15 million of that $20 million, eat it and take prospects. Why? Because they're in a cycle right now where they're not paying anyone. Like, other than Salvador Perez and Jordan Lyles, yeah. they have no money on their books. I guess Zach Greinke, whatever he costs, but he's done after this year. And so... They don't have any money on the books anyway. Go ahead and trade him. Get a few guys who are going to be that really cheap talent for you. You're spending, let's say you eat $15 million of that contract for two years, the next each of the next two years. Fine, because you're not going to get into your free agency periods. You're not going to get into your big-time arbitration periods for another couple of years anyway. And so 
you know, you're not paying sure. Brady singer is going to be you know somewhat expensive next year, but not hugely expensive. And so you have money freed up anyway, go ahead and eat some of that Salvador Perez money to get some young controllable talent in here that actually has a chance of impacting major league baseball. If they could get one starter who's like, looks like a decent, legit prospect, one position player, maybe, or a couple starters, either one who looks like maybe a mid-tier prospect and one reliever who's a legit relief prospect who just aren't valued as highly. I'd be happy with that return for Salvador Perez. How about Michael Garcia, Mike? People are talking about him because he's not a true fit at third base. What are your thoughts on what they should do with him? It is very interesting because the profile that he has would be very valuable at shortstop. And he, I think he plays a phenomenal shortstop. And to this day, it's going to be very hard. Bobby Witt Jr. is playing a great shortstop. But for the make every routine routine play, Michael Garcia, I think, is a better shortstop at that. I do. I think he's naturally more gifted at the position, but he's not Bobby Witt Jr. So, (laughs) you know, and in the profile doesn't really play at third, like you mentioned earlier. So I'm probably a trade him right now. Anyway, as it stands now, I'm probably a trade him, especially since you have a guy like Nick Lofton who might be able to step in and play third. But yeah, I probably trade him if there's something in return. And here's the thing though. I don't know if he's shown enough in major league baseball to really say, well, you're going to be able to get a great return for this guy. See, I do just don't. Now, if a team really needs a shortstop, if the team really needs a shortstop, you might be able to do that. I just don't know. See, I think you can. And here's why he has shown the ability to hit it roughly a major league average and play a well above average uh, defense at shortstop. So he will be a plus value at shortstop for someone and then add on the fact that he's only 23 years old and some team's going to look at him and say, wait, we can get a guy who's a slightly above average player right now who might become a near all-star level player. If we can put some power onto him, if we can help, uh, you know, increase his bat speed or, or get some sort of power out of him. Yeah, I'm taking that. And you know, like it's in major league baseball. You're not trading for a guy who might be successful in Major League Baseball. You're trading for a guy who's already been successful in Major League Baseball. That's huge, right? Plus, he's going to help you on the base pads. He's going to do the little things in that way. Why would you not trade for him? He's got good on base, good walk, good enough strikeout numbers. Yeah, I think a team would jump out of their shoes if they're like, we need a shortstop to put to make him their shortstop because he's got a ton of control as well. Like, yeah, he's ideal in terms of a trade candidate for a guy you're like, trade him now. Get as much as you can at him because if you could pull three legitimate contributors from a Michael Garcia trade, you have now flipped. You, you've done a, gone a long way towards helping the depth of this roster, right? Like they need the problem with their roster right now is it's not deep enough. It needs to be deeper, and so you trade him. Maybe Nick Lofton plays third. Now you find some maybe some prospects who can be outfield solutions for you or starting pitching solutions for you. That's huge for them. So they really, I think looking at guys like Salvi, imagine if they traded both Salvi and Michael Garcia this offseason, how far that would go towards just sort of turning this roster around in a really positive way. Yeah. And you, and you're going to get a couple guys that increase the talent of your minor league system, which isn't great. Yeah, that so. too. And, you know, we, any, any step in that direction is a good step as well. Another guy who could be part of that this offseason, if only we had the courage to be this transactional. Mike, what do you think about Brady Singer? Do we need to trade him? He's only got a couple of years left before he hits free agency. Trade, extend, or wait and see? I'm going with wait and see, but it's only because of the circumstances of where their starting rotation is now. Like, it's so, so bad, they cannot afford to give away Brady Singer. 
Like they can't afford to trade Brady Singer unless they're getting somebody back that can start immediately. It's just insane to me. I've, I don't know if I've, it's been a long time since I've seen a starting rotation this bad. Wait, 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 wait. And so you're giving away the guy who, the second best guy in your starting rotation. Wait, hold on, ah, hold on. It's hard for me. So you're saying like, okay, they're going to lose 110 games this year. You wouldn't trade Brady Singer and then take a, what, what's the difference between trading him and taking 115 losses versus the 110 you're already going to take? Like, what's the difference? Well, that's the thing. The difference is how long it takes to get a competitive rotation in there. Like we said, two free agents this this offseason and your your rotation could be decent, if not deep, but decent. If it's not... You take Brady Singer out of that, that's a whole other equation. If it's not deep, it's not decent, my man. This is And I'm not sold that he can't get better. Right. Uh, I'm a trade immediately guy on Brady Singer, and here's why. For the he's going to be a free agent in two years. He's not on the next competitive Royals team. I'll tell you that right now. And so why not move him now when he's got the most control you can get? Some teams will look at his numbers this year and they might be a little squeamish, but they can see that the FIP is in order. They can see that they can get something out of that. That, that he's They're probably looking at him and saying, like, we know he's a, at the very least a solid back-end guy and has the potential to be a mid-rotation guy. We'll take that. Starting pitching so valuable. And the free agent market for starting pitching this offseason is garbage. So that means you're going to get as much out of trade as you could probably possibly get for a Brady Singer. Go ahead and trade him. Get two or three uh, pitching prospects in return and then see what happens, right? Go out and spend your own in free agency if you want. But the fact is that the fact that he's only got two years of control is not, and, and but he's not probably going to take, you know, He's again, Singer doesn't need the money. He doesn't have incentive to take a team friendly deal or anything. So you're paying market prices if you want to extend him. I don't want to pay market prices for Brady Singer. I want to build a highly, what you want is a really young starting pitching pool so that you don't have to pay for the most valuable resource in baseball. And so I know it's going to hurt, but trade him get some more of that young starting pitching talent and let's start giving shots to guys like Anthony Veneziano, some more of those prospects that are coming in, Andrew Hoffman, and we'll see if some of those stick, but I'd much rather have a cost control, inexpensive rotation than going out paying big money for them. And Preston Farr on Twitter the other day, I I had a little back and forth to him just talking about uh, what I think it was him. He put out like his projected uh, starting rotation in 2024 and two of them were Andrew Hoffman and Anthony Veneziano. My, my thing to that was you're going to put 40% of your rotation as guys who've never pitched in major league baseball and hope that they're going to be okay. And one of the other guys was, you know, was uh Daniel Lynch. And it's like, wait a second, that's 60% of your rotation. Who's never had success in major league baseball. That is that you're just saying, okay, hands up. We give up. We're not going to win, which I mean, I understand that. Hey, but they're not you should be trying to win, right? Yeah, you should <laughs> like, be. You should be. But, but they're, they're going to lose 110 games this year. Okay. Let's not pretend we do. We do this every year. We pretend like they're not as bad as they are. They are this well, bad. I know that. They are this bad. And so, you know, whatever they can do to replenish their pitching talent, they need to do because they're not one Brady singer away. They are not one Brady singer away. And so trade him and get what you can for him at his most valuable, which is probably right now. We got one more starting pitcher to talk about, and I just threw him in. Nobody's talking about like extending him or anything like that, but I thought, hey, he's having a he's having a good time. Let's talk about him. Cole Reagans. Mike, what are your thoughts on what the Royals should do with Cole Reagans? And this should tell you a little bit about anybody's attitude towards starting pitching overall. Mike, your thoughts. 
first, let me just say, I don't know that there's a bigger Cole Reagan's head out there. I love Cole Reagan's appointment television. Love the guy. I would wait <laughs> simply for the reason that starting pitchers are injury prone. I mean, injuries abound in those. And if you sign him now in his controllable years, you could possibly be throwing away one of those years of your extension that you've just given a guy. And you're talking about a guy who's had two Tommy John surgeries already. And so I'm a little bit hesitant on doing something for him, extending him without seeing more of a track record of starting and being durable in that process because yeah, pitchers get hurt, man. And so I would wait on Cole Reagan's. Now I am not saying I would wait and trade him later. I would wait to see a full year of starting before I talked about extending him. I would wait and trade him later. And I mean that because I would never, ever, ever offer market price money to a dude who's got two Tommy Johns on his record. Not going to happen for me. Uh, pitching is way too volatile in terms of injuries. And, you know, like I said, the model I prefer for the Royals is that they build a starting pitching factory that allows them to trade off of their strength of numerous starting pitchers like the Rays do, like Cleveland does. If you can be a team that can produce your own starting pitching, you don't have to extend every starter. Okay. And I'm happy to see them be that level of transactional. All I'm hearing is I want the Royals to be the Oakland A's. No, that's not what Oakland does. That's (laughs) not at all what Oakland does. And so, you know, that doesn't make any sense, (laughs) but yeah, Cole Reagan's great pitcher looks amazing. But it is so dicey to give free agent-like starting money money to a starting pitcher. It just doesn't seem like something that's plausible in the Royals' future. Following a week to forget for the Royals, the Royals will take on a team who has been so dysfunctional this season, they put a former Royal in charge to figure it all out. But I bet they will lead the league in grit next year. Just They're going to lead the league in grit with Chris, Chris Getz. Which, of course, we're talking about the white stockings of Chicago. They made Chris Getz their GM this year. Grit and sermons given. Look out. No team will run harder to first base on a routine ground ball. Mike, tell us about the White Sox because after them, they're going to take on the Blue Jays and I'll tell them about that. The, just the greatest thing in the world is that they're going to have Pedro Gafal as their manager, Chris Getz as their GM, and probably Dayton Moore as an advisor to that team. And so, oh my God, that is going to be fantastic. Um, maybe we can trade, uh, Michael Garcia for their best eight players or something. Um, <laughs> Salvador Perez, baby. Salvador Perez for Luis Robert and Dylan Cease. <laughs> or what? Um, so the White Sox, they've been a travesty this year. A lot of high hopes for them after they uh, kicked the old man aside, bringing Grafal somewhat talented roster. We thought, but they're 53 and 82, fourth in the AL Central as of the recording of this. Huge dysfunction. They're 25th in uh, pitcher war and 28th in hitter war. And their defense is also very bad. And so it's not looking good. They've had a couple good offensive performers, but it's kind of top-heavy. Luis Robert is having a really good year. And then Eloy Jimenez and Andrew Vaughn are having good, you know, solid years. After that, it drops tremendously. Uh, And the pitching staff is even worse. It's Dylan Cease, who they were really counting on after – a huge year last year has almost a five ERA. So does Michael Kopech, the other guy they were really counting on. Their best starting pitcher has been Mike Clevenger. I think he's got like a three nine ERA. Didn't um, he catch a domestic know. violence beef this off season? I think he did. You are correct. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's been their best. He's been their best pitcher so far. So it has not been good. And they sent uh, uh, was it Kendricks or Hendricks? Uh, their their 
relief pitcher that's really good. He's on the he had Tommy John. It's just been a really really bad year. But after that, the boys are going to Canada. Uh, I'm not even allowed there anymore. Mike, uh, they're going to take on the Toronto Blue Jays, who are 74 and 61, yeah. but have the disfortune of uh, misfortune of being uh, in the AL East. So they're third in the AL East with 74 and 61. Yeah. Good team, tough division. They're ninth in team OPS, which is pretty good, really good. Uh, second in team ERA. They're really pitching and hitting well. Deep lineup, guys like Bo Bichette, Vlad Jr., who's having a little bit of a down year this year, but uh, he's still Vlad Jr. Uh, Matt Chapman. Obviously, Whit Merrifield now plays for them. George Springer. I think Witt's having a bounce back year this year. Yeah, he's doing pretty good. Uh, pitching staff, guys like Kevin Gaussman, Chris Bassett. Yusei Kikuchi, I think, is having a, a little bit of a bounce back year, too. Gaussman is just filthy with splitters and just incredible pitcher from him. He's got over 200 strikeouts already. Let's hope they miss him in the rotation because, man, I, the Royals can't handle a splitter. I don't want to see it. And so, uh, yeah, uh, hopefully uh, they, they run into some fortunate starting pitching up in Canada. We'll end this week's episode like we end every episode with our Just A Bit Outside segment, where we talk about something that's interesting to us outside the world of baseball. Mike, what is something that you want to talk about that's important to your life? Well, I don't know that it's hugely important to my life, but it's just something I want to advocate for. Uh, Mark and I were at a friend's house doing an annual celebration to the kickoff of the beginning of the college football season. So shout out to our friend Jared for the good time there. But we were watching the Colorado TCU game very closely today. And one thing that we noticed was that a local kid, Dylan Edwards, scored four touchdowns in that game as a true freshman for Colorado. He's out of Wichita, I believe. But it kind of made us start this like conversation of, man, there's a lot of high school talent in the Kansas City area. We were talking specifically about football, but then that got me thinking about many, many other sports. We are very blessed to have a variety of high school sports here, so I'm encouraging you to go check some of that out. Mark and I went to uh, the Lee Summit North Liberty North football game last weekend. There were what, probably five or six division one guys on that field at any time. Um, and that's, that's huge. I mean, you're not going to, that's not something you find all the time. Go out and check out a, a, a high school softball game this fall or in the spring. I mean, think about the players that we've seen recently come out of Kansas city. We get Carter Jensen, Jacob Mizorowski, Ben Kaderna, um, just lots of talent that have come out from the Kansas city area. So get out there and, and check out some of your high school sports. Those kids as a former high school football coach, they work their butts off. Go celebrate that with them, all of them. So uh, I would, yeah, I'm, I'm, this is the first fall that I've really gotten to do that as a fan and I'm really loving it. Yeah. I love going out there and seeing a, a great uh, youth, uh, not youth, but like a high school level uh, sporting event when, you know, they're still young and still raw, but you can see that, oh, this player stands out among all of the other players like mm -hmm. like we saw in that uh, field the other night. But yeah, go out and see some of those others in sports that you may not you know normally watch, like softball, you know, uh, basketball or go to a go to a high basketball. school wrestling uh, meet. Yeah. Those things are insane. They're fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking about something that's just an odd little thing. I guess it's not odd. Sometimes it can't be bad. Um, my partner is young. As you guys may know, she's uh, uh, like nine years younger than me. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm, you know, what am I like? What are we now? 37. 37. Mm -hmm. So she's like still in her 20s, barely. Um, and so she knows what things like Snapchat and Instagram are. I don't really know uh, most of those things, but she knows them. And so sometimes she'll like show me stuff on her phone. The other day we're sitting at a restaurant, I think, and she shows me this filter on Snapchat. And she, and, and the filter it like designed to make your face look like, I don't know how to describe it, but like 
I don't know. It's like a <laughs> like a puffy uh, you, face. You can't hear this because it's a podcast, but it's like a like a puffy lips and like like a munchkin nose or whatever. Basically, it's designed to show you like here's what you would look like if you got a nose job and lip filler and all this stuff. And I was like, that's messed up. Like that is messed up to me. And and then I, and it got me thinking about like okay. It would not. I'm now become convinced that the plastic surgery industry is like funding filters for Snapchat and Instagram and stuff like that. Because I saw another one, like an ad for one after this, where the filter just makes you look younger. Like that's the whole point of the filter is to make you look younger than you are. And I'm like, what is this crap? Like convincing people that they sort of well, this is what you. I mean, in, in TV shows when they talk about plastic surgeons. They're like, here's what you could look like if you just uh, let me, you know, give me a ton of money and let me, you know, do surgery on you. And I'm like, this is messed up. Like we, we've talked about like the ways in which social media and stuff can harm people and, and, and stuff like that. And I'm a you know, big believer in all that. But I want to talk about the ways in which like some of that social media is specifically preying on the way we look and convincing us to sort of think and, and, and fixate on the way we look so much and show us an alternate version of ourselves that society or whatever social media then enforces is a better version of ourself. It's garbage. It's not a better version of you. You are perfect the way you are. And so don't be like, uh, and then we sort of, we reinforce all this with, Hey, if you want to look different than you are, that's fine. Look at it. And it's like, yeah, but you understand that that same self-affirming narrative is just lining the pockets of plastic surgeons with all this crap, right? Like if I can create a permission structure for me to go get elective surgery to look different, I will create that permission structure. I can tell myself any narrative I want to, to give myself permission to do that. And so I worry, I just, I, I'm just put, putting out there. I really worry about like the avenue, the path that I'm seeing this take people down and I'm just like, Hey man, you know, it, what is this? Why are we, why are we doing this? Why is like, Oh, here's a filter to make me look younger. Here's a filter to give me a different nose and different lips and different eyes. And uh, who gives a shit? Okay. <laughs> like I do not care. And so please stop it with that. Uh, I know you may think, Oh, it's fun. Yeah. I got dog ears. Yeah, that's fun. That's fine. Until you start trying to get dog ears from a plastic surgeon. Okay. <laughs> um, I will say there are some very legitimate reasons to get plastic surgery. A lot of them. Right. You know? I, yes. Yeah. Yes. There are definitely legitimate reasons to get plastic surgery, you know, burn victims needed and other people needed, you know, deviated septums and all, all that sort of stuff. I get it. I'm not like dogging on plastic surgery. In fact, I'm not dogging on that. What I'm dogging on is this culture that seems to consistently feed us the notion that we don't look good enough and we need to look at a, a different standard. I do, I do not like that. I know uh, I look good I, I enough. Don't like I don't know about anybody. I mean, I look great. I look great. I, I don't, yeah. I don't know what people are, you know, talking about in those comments they leave on YouTube. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, that's all we have for this week. I got to edit this so I can go to Spain tomorrow. Until next week when I won't be here, be good to each other. And go Royals. <laughs>